The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to take a moment and share a word from our sponsor. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is happy to be the proud sponsor of the Premier Dance Network. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is known for its fine total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer with the New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premier. It takes a dancer who wears a leotard all day to know what is best in a leotard. So Tyler's beautiful original leotard designs fit perfectly, are ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance, and move well with the body won't ride up in the back. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all types of dance that includes ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, team, liturgical, performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angela Luzio shoes. You may view all the products at www.bodywrappers.com or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Wrappers, go to dancewearcorner.com or your favorite online dance apparel retailer for all their products. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod the Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 16 plus years of experience with you. Whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So, put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Friday to all of you out there listening in the land of podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Pa to Chat Talking Dance. What is new in the world? <laughs> um, let's see. I, so I've started doing an absolute beginner workshop at Broadway Dance Center. I haven't done an absolute beginner workshop for over a year. I did like three in a row. Um, and then it gave me a break so that I could have a little bit more time to myself. Um, and it was requested a few times, at least directly to me, that, uh, to do an absolute beginner workshop. And uh, the, the company, the school, Broadway Dance Center, they uh, reached out to me and asked me if I would like to do another one. So we had our first week last week. And I guess by the time this post, we will have our second class. Um, so my, my class is at 23 people. It caps at 25. And people can step in uh, a little bit late because we, we move nice and slow so that people really understand the material. So if there's anybody else left, there's two slots left if you want to join me on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. at Broadway Dance Center for my absolute beginner workshop. Um, you have to be 18 years and over, and it's an eight-week commitment. Um, but obviously now if you join us, it'll be a six-week commitment. So not that bad. Um, what else? Uh, I have been working with two lovely dancers, Allie Block and Weston Croco. 
and they have been joining me late evenings to create a, a new pot de to the Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring. And I am doing this as a part of Mark Morris's, uh, Mark Morris Dance Center. They have a shared space program where they offer this, uh, it's, it's a great offering. You get subsidized studio rentals. And then at the end of the month, they have an informal showing of our work in process. So it's really like a great it's really a great platform to start developing choreography without too much pressure. And that's been a lot of fun. Um, and then also, I just found out that I have been accepted to the Steps Performance Lab at Steps on Broadway, uh, where, where my pas de deux from Distinct Perceptions will be performed on the 27th of April, 8 p.m. So yeah, lots of exciting things happening. I, I got a lot going on. Found out that one of my kids is going to Youth America Grand Prix Finals. Um, and so I'm teaching, I'm coaching, I'm creating, I'm trying to find time to put together this pod and podcasting and writing and trying to be a generally good husband <laughs> and all those things. So life is very busy right now, but I, I'm excited about all of the, all of the possibilities for the future. Alrighty, so uh, let's get on to this week's topic. I was passing by my iTunes page the other day to check on something. I can't remember exactly what I was checking on. Uh, but when I clicked on it, I just happened to reread my podcast description that I wrote for Chat nearly three years ago. I can't remember the last time I actually read that. Um, it was probably like when I wrote it. But yeah, so I was struck by what I wrote. Somewhere in there it states, ever ever wish you were a fly on the wall in a ballet studio or a rehearsal studio, something like that. And in the moment that I read that, I realized I haven't exactly talked about what happens inside a professional dance studio in a while. I've, I've more been talking about topics, uh, whether they're like a opinion topics or uh, how certain things work, but I haven't actually talked about like a functioning professional company in a while. So I knew that something related to that had to be my next topic to chat about. I started jogging my memory to see what would be an interesting topic. And then it hit me. Putting on a full length ballet is no joke. <laughs> it requires time, a large number of people, hours of dedicated rehearsal, stamina, muscle recovery, and more. So I figured I should talk about that. So for all of you people out there in podcast land, what exactly does it take to put on a full-length ballet? Obviously, every company is going to be a bit different in how they approach putting together a multi-act story ballet. Uh, and that's really because most company seasons run very differently. Like, for instance, at Pacific Northwest Ballet, we had a, we, we were rehearsing from usually the end of July or the beginning of August. And then our season was ending in June, where companies like... San Francisco Ballet. Well, actually, let me go back. Let me step back just one second. So with that schedule for Pacific Northwest Ballet, uh, we typically would have programs that would run in September, November. We would have Nutcracker in December. And then we'd have February, March, April, and June productions. Um, but then if you look at a company like San Francisco Ballet, San Francisco Ballet... Uh, 
they I don't know exactly how long their contract is. It's been a while since I've seen it. Um, but they generally start rehearsing around summertime and fall and their their contract, I believe it or their, their season ends in May. Um, this is probably all dependent upon touring. So don't hold me exactly to this, but I'm, I'm generalizing. Um, but one thing that I do know is that they have Nutcracker in uh, December, but their season runs pretty much like back to back to back from January until May. I believe it's May. It might be April, but, uh, they have eight different programs if I'm correct. And they just keep on going and going and going. So it would be different for something like that. Or like American Ballet Theater does the same thing. They have a fall season at State Theater. I refuse it to call it its actual name. If you want to talk about that, we can talk about that. But State Theater in Lincoln Center, um, ABT does their fall season for like two or three weeks there. Um, and then they do a lot of touring in between. And then they have their spring season, which is, I think it might have been cut down. It was eight, typically eight weeks. I think it might be six or seven weeks now. Um, but they just go back to back to back to back as well. So the, the preparations might be a little different um, from company to company, but uh, I feel like most companies are going to generally rehearse these full-length multi-act story ballads the same. Uh, so yeah, the rehearsal time frame may differ from production to production and from year to year, depending on work weeks, other repertory rehearsal needs, available dancers, stagers, and ballet masters, and whether the production is new or not. Uh, when I danced at PMB, we generally spent three to six weeks preparing to put on a full-length production. The time frame really depended on whether or not it was a new production or if it was a production that had been done in recent years that many of the dancers had already performed. If, if we did, like, for instance, we did uh, Midsummer's Night Dream regularly at Pacific Northwest Ballet. I think I performed it three different seasons while I was with the company. Um, and I was only with the company for seven years. I said only as if it was like a short period of time, but <laughs> I was with the company for seven years and the first year I did it, I was the new guy and every, a lot of the dancers had already done it. So they were revisiting old roles and some of them were learning, uh, roles that were further up the chain of, uh, promotion. But yeah, so it, it was a lot easier to put on a production if at least half of the company knew their roles already and they just had to sort of refresh instead of learn them anew. But yeah, so I, that was another factor and the other factor was whether it was a revival of a work that had been out of the repertory for quite some time. So if the company had done it before, maybe a couple principals that were with the company for more than 10 years would know it, but for the most part, people are, are learning it again. Now, the three to six week time frame wasn't always consistent as our spring schedule didn't always allot for more than two weeks between productions. So like I said, we had back-to-back -back productions from uh, February, March, February to March to April. So there wasn't a lot of time to rehearse during those two weeks that we had between productions. So a great deal of repertoire would, repertoire would be rehearsed as we returned from summer break before the season really moved into full gear. Sometimes, as we did with our new production of Jean-Christophe Melo's Romeo and Juliet, or Romeo et Juliet, uh, we learned some of the material over two weeks in August before we had really like 
gotten fully going into the season and then I so we yeah we learned that for two weeks in August and I the first time that we did it was a February production so we pulled the rest of the production together in January and I think we only had like three weeks to pull together at that point because uh we had Nutcracker and then we always had like a week or two off um after Nutcracker to let our bodies recover and then we would go right into it uh I feel like many people believe that dancers only rehearse what they are about to do then and there, but it doesn't work that way. Um, but yeah. Uh, oh, if you, I, I forgot to give Stephen Maines a little plug up here. Uh, he wrote a book called When Snowflakes Dance and Swear, and he followed Pacific Northwest Ballet for an entire year very closely. It's a very long book. It's about 900 pages. It's kind of like a reality TV show, but put into a book. Um, and he actually discusses how we put together this Romeo et Juliet the first time. It was kind of a a chaotic experience <laughs> and really interesting like the flu went around during this three-week period and we were doing a brand new production in a style that was way out of our comfort zone so if you want a little drama you can read that that section of that book but yeah so uh where was i so okay but to, but to be a professional ballet dancer means that you have to have the skills to learn choreography uh to store it in your mind for a period of time and then to be able to return to it months later so it isn't common for people to uh or for dancers to only rehearse what they're doing in that moment uh especially in the larger companies where you have long seasons with lots of repertoire so Full-length, uh, classical or neoclassical or contemporary, it uh, doesn't matter at this point. But full-length ballets aren't rehearsed from beginning to end. I, I think that a lot of times people just assume it's like a writing a book. You don't start at chapter one and end at chapter, I don't know, 25. Ballets are typically pieced together with separate rehearsals for the corps de ballet, for soloists, and for principals. Generally, it's a, the best way that I could explain this is if you look at a, a ballet like, let's say, Swan Lake, uh, what the responsibility of the artistic management is, uh, is the, the responsibility is to look at the different pieces of this four-act ballet, so like Swan Lake, um, they, they look at the production, they go, okay, what are the different pieces of this? And then they look at the most complicated ones, they probably start rehearsing those first, if they have the time to, um, and then the simpler things, they will probably... Uh, wait until later, uh, depending upon stamina building and things like that. So let's say Swan Lake. So probably the most challenging thing to put together in Swan Lake is the, the core work for all the swans, depending on the production. I think at PNB we had, how many was it? Was it 26 swans? Something like that, because I think there were 24 core swans and then two demi soloist swans that did the big, the, the big swans. So yeah, what they will probably do is start rehearsing the the big core sections first so that would be again like i said in the second and the fourth act you would have the the swan core uh in the first act you would have uh like the the friends waltz at the very beginning of the ballet and there's a whole scene with peasants in there in the second act uh in the fourth act there's uh 
big polonaise that happens with the Corte Ballet. So those big groups are, there's a lot of, even if the choreography is not super complicated, usually the pattern work is, and it's a lot of people and um, whatnot. So those definitely are going to start first. Uh, the principals and the soloists are probably going to be separated into separate rooms at this point, separate rehearsal studios. Uh, obviously, Odette Odile, who's played by the same person, the the Swan Queen and her uh her evil com- co- counterpart, uh, they will rehearse with their Prince Siegfried for quite some time so that they can put together a lot of material and also build their stamina. Chances are they'll probably start with like, they'll do the white swan separate in the separate rehearsal and then they'll do the black swan in a separate rehearsal. They don't just like go into a studio and learn all the material. It'll be like, you're called for one hour or two hours to learn the white swan, da-da-da. and then the next hour you're going to work on your first act entrance. Um, and the next two hours you're going to work on the black swan. Da-da-da. Um, it's very, very much pulled apart in different pieces um and then also there are different typical like type types of soloist roles um and these might be the divertisements that happen in the the third act when the prince siegfried has to choose who he's gonna marry so there's the neapolitan sometimes it's a solo sometimes it's a pas de deux there are uh the different women who the princesses that he has to choose from, then there's all of that. So those will be sep- rehearsing separately as well. So typically about two weeks before the production is going to run, the, the acts are started to be pieced together. So a, a good example of this would be, for instance, the third act in Swan Lake. So what's going to happen is they'll call everybody who is involved in the third act into the studio and everybody who has been rehearsing things separately. So you have Neapolitan, you have the Chartas, you have the, the princesses, you have Prince Siegfried, you have the Black Swan, Padada, you have all those things. What will happen is all those people will be called into the studio together and then the dancers will, and, and artistic management will start to build the act from the beginning. Um, and chances are you're going to run each piece, but it's not quite, you're not quite at performance, uh, at your performance level yet. But uh, it's also a way to see the, see the, it's the, a way to see the flow of things, but it's also a way for dancers to start to be able to build their stamina because maybe Prince Siegfried hadn't done his dance with the princesses um, and he hadn't done all the acting that in between everything he had just acted without people in the studio on his own um and then so now now all those characters are surrounding him on the stage like his the queen and the king his parents um and the princesses and so he's learning he's learning what he has to do to interact to make it a full true story ballet and then he also has to be able to gauge his stamina when he's doing certain things so that by the time that he gets to the black swan potada he has enough enough gas in the tank to be able to perform that um so yeah this it's it's an interesting time to piece everything together because for the most part everybody knows their dancing sections but now how do we get from piece to piece to piece that starts to happen here and that goes so like i said that goes on for about uh a week, two weeks before the production. Um, and then the week 
prior to entering the theater. So production week is when you're in the theater, uh, but the week prior to that, that's when all of the acts start to get tied together. And there are typically calls for uh, all the dancers to be in the studio. And typically the, the different casts will run the entire ballet over a three hour time period. So most work days for professional ballet companies are about Six, well, seven and a half hours, like a typical work day, but you have company class and then there's a three hour rehearsal block and then you have an hour for lunch and then there's another three hour rehearsal block. So those three hour rehearsal blocks will be two separate run throughs. And depending on how many casts there are, you might do this over two to three days uh, because if there's four casts, you get two run throughs one day, two run throughs the next day. If there's five, you're going to have to do even more. Um, Depending on how much time there is and how much experience people have, uh, there might be a cast that doesn't truly get a full run through, but they will be called to watch uh, those rehearsals and to sort of get an idea. And it's almost like they're being tested to see if they have the ability to, to handle things on their own. Um, it's a very interesting part of it. But okay, so uh, rehearsals during these two weeks um maybe start start and go like stop and go i think that's how you say it they might be stop and go especially in that first week where the acts are being pieced together but generally by the time that you get to those full run-throughs they're trying to run them as much as possible without stopping so that dancers can get a feel for the stamina that they need um really a lot of building ballets is about making sure that dancers can build their stamina properly without getting hurt uh, because it, it it's not like you can do these pieces separately and build the stamina for when you actually have to do them nonstop because uh, a full-length ballet can be anywhere from, I don't know, if you look at Giselle, it's two acts, so it's probably like an hour and a half uh, all the way up to a, a three-hour ballet like Swan Lake, which is a very long ballet. So um even if you've rehearsed all the pieces separately and you have the stamina to do the white swan pas de deux and the black swan pas de deux um, and all of the other in-between stuff, it doesn't mean that when you do it all in a row that you're going to have the stamina for that. So uh, there does need to be a period to build that. Uh, that really is one of the main goals of the structure of building a, a full-length ballet. All right, so then next you have production week. What happens in production week? So there are multiple different types of rehearsals that happen during production week. Uh, at PNB, we didn't have, we didn't always have the theater every day. Um, we usually worked on production week from Monday through, I think it was Saturday. So Monday we would still be in the the studios rehearsing because uh, the technical people the the crew and the lighting designer and sound and all of that they would uh head into the theater first because they had to they had to put all the sets in there they had to make sure that the lighting was correct they had they have to lay the marley they have to make sure that all the the scenery is in the right places to be moved onto the stage and, and all of that so uh, the first day is usually not in the theater for the dancers, but on uh, Tuesday, the way that we would work at P&B, we would typically have a, a spacing rehearsal. So we would go to the theater and this would be very, 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 very stop and go again because uh, 
it's very different to go to be in a on in a studio rehearsing where you have marks on the stage like you have your sorry in the studio you have marks like center and quarter and eighth um but once you enter the theater all of a sudden you have wings you have to figure out which wings you go in and out of um and you don't have the mirror to check all these different spacing things so usually the first day of rehearsals are about spacing like the first 20 minutes of piece you may not even work with music you will probably just walk around and say this is where you are you run out here you come back on here and then you might run a section of it and something goes wrong and they have to stop and do it again you have to really like figure out who goes where and how all that works um so yeah the first day is pretty much spacing and then the the next day typically on the wednesday we would rehearse it would be our tech rehearsals so we might still do some spacing uh earlier in the day but by the evening um they would try to do a run-through of of one of the casts and they would do it with uh lighting and different things like that now the orchestra is not involved typically in this process yet they've been doing their thing on their own they have a completely different rehearsal process where uh most of the time the orchestra they learn their pieces on their own and they come together for like i don't know don't hold me to this but it's it's a very few rehearsals it's something like two to four uh rehearsals before they show up for the dress rehearsal um it's it's a very different process because uh they're music is their music where for dancers there's many potential downfalls that could happen if you're running in the wrong wing and somebody's running out of it you could run into them where with musicians everybody knows their their part and it's just a matter of playing it together and making sure that everybody can play together so uh, for the tech rehearsal the orchestra typically wasn't involved unless it was an extremely complex piece of music like when we did Stravinsky's Rite of Spring um the tech rehearsal is really about just letting the dancers get comfortable with the stage and the lighting um, and all of that. Sometimes dancers would wear costumes. Most of the time, the principals would wear costumes because uh, well, since the, the principals are <laughs> running the entire ballet from start to end, they don't have an, enough time to hire the orchestra to have like five run-throughs so really usually only opening night cast would get a dress rehearsal with the orchestra all the other principal casts would typically uh get their run-through during these spacing and tech rehearsals so um opening night cast usually gets the best <laughs> quality rehearsals and then as it goes down the line it gets more challenging so uh, it can be really stressful being a a doing a principal role but not doing the opening night because you are kind of feeling things out as you are performing but yeah so the tech rehearsal happens um some people might be in costume some might not and then uh the day before the show so for us at pnb would typically be thursdays we would have our dress rehearsal and the dress rehearsal we would have uh, another tech rehearsal in the morning and then in the evening we would have our dress rehearsal that was with an orchestra, with all the lighting, with everybody in costumes, it, and um, they would have an invited audience. And typically, in these dress rehearsals, the goal was to just run it straight through. Uh, even if something goes wrong, typically they would continue. It, would, it was very rare during a dress rehearsal for anybody on the artistic staff to turn to the conductor and say, please stop playing, we need to fix this. It was very uncommon. Um, they tried to run it like the show. Uh, and just let people figure things out as they go. But uh, 
like I said, every once in a while we would stop for something major, but for the most part, the dress rehearsal was a dress rehearsal and everybody was supposed to look and act like they were already performing for a paying audience. Um, so yeah, then we have our shows. Let's talk about what it's like to perform a full length ballet as a different, as different parts of the company. So the core dancers often have the most to do between changing costumes, changing characters, learning different spots, stepping in for injured dancers and more. Um, for the core dancers, some roles are, are focused more on acting, while others have more group dancing and a few moments to stand out in those group dancings, uh, group dances. And other roles require you to stand as living scenery for an entire act while you watch your colleagues dance their hearts out. Um, it's, it's very challenging being a core dancer doing a full-length ballet because usually you are exhausted. Usually you are doing every single performance. You have to change your, your, the track of your mind um, because if it's a four-act ballet, you are probably dancing, especially for the women, like in Swan Lake, the women are dancing in every single act. And then beyond that, some of them are even stepping out of their core roles to do some soloist roles or demi-soloist roles, character roles, or even principal roles. So if you're doing eight shows, 10 shows, in a matter of two weeks, you could have not just four roles for the, all four acts, you could actually have like seven to 10 roles that you're performing. So to be a core dancer in a full-length ballet is wholly consuming and exhausting. All right, so that's that's what it's like to be a core dancer. To be a soloist dancer um, in a full-length ballet it, if you are a soloist, generally you won't fill in the core roles unless there's been injuries or if it's an extremely, extremely large ballet um, and you're in a company that can't provide uh, all of those dancers. Uh, but generally, if you're a soloist dancing in, in a full-length ballet, you are going to do uh, pieces that are not through, not necessarily throughout the entire ballet, like thinking of the jester in Swan Lake or thinking of uh, who would be somebody else. The the big swans would be soloists, so that's actually you're in the whole act. Um, but yeah, the soloist roles, you're, you're not doing as much. I, I've heard there's this saying, it's called soloist purgatory. Um, it could be very challenging being a soloist because you aren't dancing as much because you don't have all of the core roles, um, but you're not necessarily doing the principal roles where you're performing in like constantly. So um, soloists often, it's it's a mix between having soloist roles and not dancing. But yeah, it's it's less common for soloists to have a role in every single act. So it, it allows them to focus on their roles more and it allows them to warm up properly and to save some energy throughout the run. Um, the warm up properly thing, the core often, if somebody was standing for an entire act and they have to run on stage and do a swan for the next act, um, it can be very hard on the body because uh, typically you want to be able to do like a short bar before you're going to dance intensely. Um, but if you've been standing and then you have to run and change your costume and add to your makeup and uh, maybe change your shoes, uh, like from character shoes to point shoes, it can be very difficult. Where a soloist, they get to focus a little bit more. They get to have a little bit more time to themselves. Um, and of course, yeah, some soloists, they're working towards moving up that chain to become the principal, and they might actually get one show of uh, a principal role. Um, so yeah, soloist is kind of an interesting middle place when it comes to being a dancer. 
Um, all right, now the principal roles. The principal roles are the most overwhelming experience as a professional dancer. Not only are you dancing and acting throughout most of the night, but you are responsible for, for carrying the entire evening. If you're dancing the role of Romeo or Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, the show cannot go on without you, which I think you probably figured out already. <laughs> there is a great amount of physical and emotional stress on these dancers, and it, it really takes a lot for a dancer to pace themselves. One thing that I learned during my time dancing uh, some principal roles, when I was at Pacific Northwest Ballet, I got to dance uh, a few principal roles in uh, full-length ballets. I did Mercutio in Romeo et Juliet, and I did Puck in A Midsummer's Night Dream. And one thing that I learned is that you can't dance 100% all the time, uh, or you would die. I talk about this when I teach a lot. People are often told, give everything that you have while you're dancing. But if you're dancing for three hours nonstop, you will not succeed in, in, in finishing the night. Um, I, like, like I said, I learned this doing those roles. Uh, when I was freelancing, I did Romeo in Macmillan's Romeo and Juliet with uh, Fort Wayne Ballet and one or two other full-length ballets and you really have to pace yourself you have to know that like in this moment i really have to push and then in this moment i need to pull back just a little bit and maybe not put my leg at like 110 degrees in arabesque maybe a lower arabesque would be more sufficient or here i can go for two pirouettes because it's not important to uh to show off but in this variation this is the big exciting part so i need to give 130 percent um so yeah there, there's a lot of pacing for dancers when it comes to these major roles because when you are on 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 stage a majority of the time and off stage very little you have to sort of find your your rhythm so that you can get through the entire night the, there there's no way you can dance 100 percent all the time um so yeah, that's that's what it's like to perform different roles, like as as a different level dancer in a full length ballet. Um, there, really, it really is different to be performing a full length ballet versus one act ballet. Um, during repertory program programs, you might be doing three acts in one night, um, but they're not all related. Uh, sometimes there's a story. Sometimes there's not a story. Sometimes there's a lot of dancing. Sometimes there's less dancing. Um, when you're doing a full length ballet, you have to remain committed to staying in character over one act and an intermission, another act and an intermission, another act. So there's a different emotional process when it goes into that. Also, uh, in one act ballets, there are often fewer opportunities for non-principles. Uh, when you're doing a full-length ballet, especially a long run of it, there's so many different roles that there are more opportunities for dancers to step out of the core. Um, but yeah, there, there's it's it's just a different experience to do a full-length ballet versus a one-act ballet. Okay, there's one more thing I want to talk about before we close out this episode. One thing that people don't often talk about in full-length ballets is recovery. Uh, I remember... The first time that I did a leading role in a full-length ballet and the shock that I had that night um, because it's different when you are 
going through the rehearsal process. Of course, you're sore, but you're building your stamina and you're, you're just like figuring things out as they go. But when you jump on stage to do a full length ballet and you have all of that adrenaline and excitement and audience in front of you, you go and you give everything that you have. Um, I remember when I did Mercutio the first time that it wasn't so much like when the show was done because of course you have like that adrenaline rush and that high of finishing a performance and the excitement. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night and my legs were like pounding, like aching, 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 pounding. Um, and then when I woke up the next morning, just to like step out of bed, my feet, I felt like I must've been 90 years old with like the most brittle feet that could barely even handle the weight of my body on the floor. Uh, it's just such a shock to the body to dance for that length of time while also not being in your, in, in your actual mind as you thinking like I should do this because I want to feel better in the morning. You are in the mind of somebody else and trying to portray that. And then, like I said, with all the adrenaline and excitement of the show, um, you aren't completely aware of how your legs feel. It was mostly my legs, but you're not completely uh, aware of how they feel until all the adrenaline is left and then your body starts recovering in your sleep. Um, this was even more so when I did Romeo because um, Mercutio dies about two acts into the the ballet where Romeo is he keeps on going 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 and I remember I'm I call these drama dreams um when you like have something stressful that's happening or like you you have kind of like a a bad dream but you can't get yourself out of it or you like wake up and you fall back asleep and the dream continues um when I did Romeo I had drama dreams um and it was all related to the pain in my legs after dancing <laughs> but I didn't realize it until I woke up like exactly what was going on but yeah it was really really shocking because to do a principal role in a full-length ballet is such a crazy thing I think a lot of people don't think about the after part they think about what they're doing how they build their stamina how they're portraying their character um, but there's a big recovery component to it that's not often talked about um, and for that reason, it's very uncommon for principals to perform the leading roles in a full length, like one after the other. Every once in a while, you'll hear like, oh, they, they're doing Aurora in Sleeping Beauty in the evening show, and then they're going to do it again in the matinee show. It's really uncommon for that to be done because there is a necessary recovery period. I honestly couldn't imagine... Um, I mean, I've done it from going from a principal role to a core role, which is really, really, really hard. I couldn't imagine going from that principal role right into that principal role within the next like 24 hours. So there's a major recovery period that is necessary after performing a full-length ballet. So yeah, that's what it's like to put on a full-length ballet. It's a really interesting experience. I think that... Uh, 
if you want to get a good idea of it, like I said, check out that book that I mentioned. Uh, it's Stephen Maines. It's P-H-E-N Stephen and Maines is M-A-N-E-S. Um, and it's when snowflakes dance and swear. And if you, uh, if you read it, I'm interviewed and quoted throughout it. So you'll get to see a little bit of, of my history in there too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting experience and probably not exactly what people would expect looking from the outside. Um, it's a very intelligent way that companies go about putting together pieces. And it really is about getting all these moving parts to work separately before you put them in um, and then giving a little bit of time for them to sort of mesh before you throw it on stage. It's not, like I said, it's not like writing a book. You don't start with chapter one and end at chapter 25. Um, it's kind of like taking separate paragraphs and then figuring out what order they go in and then creating a chapter and then figuring out what the order of the chapters are. So, Yeah. That's that. I'm glad that I'm finally back to talking about things in the studio. I think that probably thinking about that because I haven't been in a rehearsal studio too much uh, with professionals. Um, and now that I'm getting back into choreographing more on professionals and thinking about starting my company, um, I'm getting back in that mindset. So it's actually quite exciting for me and I'm happy to share that with you. All right. So that's a really good note to end this thing on. So let's let's get to the end. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, you can check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. You can find that at premierdancenetwork.com. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer, which is now archived, and that is where I wrote about working as a freelance artist and an independent contractor for five years. I also have Dancing Offstage, and you can find that at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com, and on there, I talk about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have a YouTube channel, and I just updated my reel, so you can check out my choreography there by going to youtube.com and typing in B. Corollis and you will find my choreography there. Thanks for listening in to Pod to Chat. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.